0: Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Yardena Osban, here along with my friend and Chavruta Ann Gordon. Today, we will be discussing Brachot, uh, Dav Chavpet, Shavuot Tov, everybody. This is, you know, again, sort of an interesting Dav. Uh, it's a lot of discussion around the status of a bal Keri and what a Baal Kerry is allowed to do and not allowed to do. For those listeners who are just joining us, a bal Kerry is a man who had some sort of seminal omission. And that could be involuntary. That could also be voluntary just through the regular act of sexual intercourse. And we see that there's a whole set of halachot um, around that person who has that status. This is actually the source of why Hasidim, for example, go to the mikveh every single morning. Um, and one of the things I wanted to draw our attention to is there's a discussion about that before the Baal carry, before this person who had this seminal omission goes to the mikveh, uh, what are things that they are allowed to learn and not allowed to learn? In other words, the assumption of the Gemara is, is that they're not allowed to learn every type of Torah. Um, they actually have to go to the mikvah first. And the assumption that um, unites all of the opinions, because there's even a machlokus about this, um, you know, about uh, what they're allowed to learn or not learn, is that they cannot learn anything that actually involves psukim. So I just want to read a short portion of this text. So Rabbi Yossi says he can study Mishnah that he's accustomed to learning. So in other words, not something that I guess would be new or something that would be difficult for them to learn, as long as he doesn't sort of go into a new Mishnah. Rabbi Yonatan ben Yosef says he can learn Mishnah, but not Gemara. So presumably Gemara would sort of be the explanation to the Mishnah. Rabbi ben Avishalom So the next opinion is is that the Keri can learn gemara but cannot say anything that involves shem hashem. Uh Rabbi Yohanan HaSandlar, Talmidosha Rabbi Akiva, Mishum Rabbi Akiva Omer, lo kol ikar. Now we even have what may seem to be the most extreme opinion so far which is Rabbi Yochanan Hassan Lars, who's a student of Rabbi Akiva, says this person shouldn't even go shouldn't go into the Beit Midrash now that may not be giving a limitation on what they are allowed to learn but maybe it's saying that they're not allowed to do group learning Rabbi Yehuda Amara shonechu behilchot derach Rabbi Yehuda concludes with that they are allowed to learn derach eretz so in fact I think Rabbi Yehuda's is probably the most restrictive it seems, according to Rabbi Huda, that this person cannot learn Torah Shabbatav, right? There's no pesukim that all the opinions seem to agree about, and cannot even learn Torah Shabbalpath, but rather can learn some group of Jewish law that's called Hilchot Derech Eretz. And we don't actually know. And I looked up actually, uh, Anne and I spent some time looking at the commentaries um, on this. You know, is this an actual book? Uh, was this like a particular set of law. But the assumption is, and how Derech Eretz is used, right, is that it literally means the way of the land, but that you could still learn the things that basically teach you, like how to go about being a mentioned society. Um, and that would have nothing to do with the status of this person um, being a valkari. And then the Gemara goes on and continues with this interesting story about Rabbi Yehuda, who he was with his students, and he actually had the status of being a valkyrie. which, and Anne, I know you're going to speak a little bit about this, we would normally think this would be something that would sort of be hidden, and it's interesting that all his students knew this about him. Um, and he was basically by, so uh, you know what, I'll read the text. Masa rabbi Yehuda, she shira, So Rabbi Yehuda had the status of being this valkyrie. Bahyam Alech al-Gab and he was walking around, along the, r- the riverbank, right presumably to do Tavila, to immerse himself, and to go to the mikvah. Amr lo talmidav. So his students said to him, "Rabbeinu shnei lanu perak echad Derach eretz." So they said, knowing his understanding that the only thing a valkiri could learn is the laws of derech eretz, they said, "Why don't you teach us one of the laws of derach eretz?" But what did he do? He first went down, he immersed himself, and then he taught them. Amrulo, they said to him, Lo denu This is not what you taught us, our, our teacher. Shonehu You taught that you can teach, you can learn and you can teach the halachot of derakhert. ani And he concludes by saying, even though I am on others, I am machmir on myself. So I think this brings us to a second interesting point. Um, Which is, and we do see this, and we saw this with the stories with Rav Gamliel, right, that there are times where the posseg has, right, where the decider of law decides one way for the general population, but may enact halakha differently for themselves. Um, There's something about that to be today that seems somewhat undemocratic, I guess would be the way to say it. Um, but. You know, I think it's an understanding that, but you also see sort of the empowering sense that halachic deciders mm-hmm. had, that they really felt comfortable saying, you know, this can be true. I understand almost in a way, I think it's that he understood he needed to be make He needed to be lenient with the Baal that even Hilcho derech Eretz, right? Um, that could be the only thing that would be allowed to be taught. But for himself, Rabbi Yehuda actually wanted to be machmer. Um, and maybe that was a way of modeling something for his students, or that was a personal choice. So I just think two different, you know, two interesting, small little interesting things on this page. What exactly is this Hilchot der We don't really get a good sense of what it is, but presumably it's not something that's actually Tershah or Tershah Ba'al And then this idea of the halachic decider, or the Rebbe, of the teacher, choosing to be more machmir in themselves, where they may be more make-out for other people.
1: So I think this touches here, Dana, on the discussion that we had about, um, you know, when we have something that is l'chathchila and when we have something that is Bidiyavid, when we have something that is done in the ideal way or maybe not the most ideal way. And I think it's an important distinction to say that when somebody, when a rav decides that he is going to take a more machmir position on himself, for his own practice and he's going to instruct others that they do not need to. They can take the more makil position. This distinction between makil and machmir is not always a matter of They the mekil position can be, in fact, a lechatchila position. And that's a really important thing, I think, to say. And it can be very confusing because it seems like, well, isn't the machmir position always going to be the lechatchila position? And the answer is not necessarily, not always. Um, so let's just, meaning the divide is comparable, but it's not really the same thing. Number one. Number two, this, this brings me very nicely to what I wanted to raise here on the daf. And then I have a broader discussion point to raise as well. Um, at the beginning of Dafkafbet Kafbet Aleph, it says, um, again, this is we're talking still about the Balkhari. Balkhari sha'inlomaim litbol when a when a Kari um, can't dunk. Kore this, this piece of the Gemar says he he should read the Shema, he should recite Kriatshmah, but he should not make the brach beer-cut he should not say the brachot beforehand or afterwards. And light and similarly goes on. Pito. He's going to eat, right? He doesn't have water to dunk, but he's got to eat. So he eats his bread. He benches. But he should not make the brachot beforehand. The brachot beforehand are a matter of um, are drabanan, meaning the, hamazon, the benching afterwards is doraita. Likewise, saying kriyachma is dooraita, the brachot of kriyachma before and afterwards are drabanan. So we have another way of distinguishing between levels, let's say, of obligation. We have an, When you have an obligation for the Doraita, there are circumstances that even the balkari, or again, within the Machlokyot of the Gemara, that even the Balkari will be required to do the dooraita, but will forbear from encroaching on brachot and so on when he has not had the chance to do that's one point. My larger discussion here, and I, I open it to all of you listening. And Yordana, obviously, you'll chime in if you have what to add. Um, I want to talk for a moment about the fact that we have DAPM here. That what they're talking about is the circumstances of a bal carry, meaning somebody, who, a, a man who has had seminal emission in, as Dana described, voluntarily or involuntarily, and has not had a chance to. Go to the mikvah to render himself pure after the fact, and it's such a matter of fact discussion in terms that I find a a little awkward, a little uncomfortable for my modern sensibilities. Of what do we discuss in mixed company? What do we discuss uh, in private? What do we not discuss at all, even when we know that you know bodily functions are bodily functions, but but we don't talk about those things, right? It's not Sanua and we have we. I understand that we live in, in a in a sense of hyper-modesty in this day and age, but we also have a sense of just a certain amount of privacy, which even if you don't subscribe, and I think we we don't want to subscribe to hyper-modesty, but we do want to subscribe to, to real modesty, and we do want to subscribe to privacy, and these issues seem to be much less at the fore of their experience in the pages of the Gemara. Now, it is, I'm sure somebody will feel the need to, acknowledged, so I will do it for you, that the women are not on these pages per se. And so that this is not a mixed company conversation in the pages of the Gemara itself. Um, Okay, but I think also the very fact that there could be a yeshiva discussing it, the fact that there can be people in the know. So we talked about the fact that Tumantara was more at the forefront, that a certain generation anyway, was more at the forefront of people's experience. And so you couldn't not know because it was, people knew who was, able to go where what they could eat who they could talk to where they could go at the same time I want to acknowledge that this is an awkward conversation we your Dan and I clearly are trying to be matter of fact I think that it bears talking about it. it's in the Gemara, right this is this is Torah and we shall learn but I'm not gonna ignore the fact that it's a little bit um, it's not our usual table conversation and there's something a little bit uncomfortable about talking about issues that are, uh, again, bodily functions. They tend not to be our, our most um, highfalutin conversations. They're not usually the stuff of spirituality. They're not usually the stuff of uh, even our discussions of halacha, unless it's very salient to that issue. You know, again, obviously, there's a whole there's plenty of Shiloh that are asked about bodily functions, but it's not usually the chat. So I say this because... Because it's what jumps out at me from the daf, meaning I can learn all the details and I can learn the ins and outs of when the requirements are, and what to do right and what to do right on, right and when we permit somebody to say something, and when we permit somebody not to say something, we don't permit somebody to say something. But at the end of the day, I have to acknowledge that this is all like a little bit of an uncomfortable conversation and it's not going away anytime soon because as we move forward, we're gonna talk about bathroom conversations, right? And this is what I say, this is Torah and so we shall learn. It has bearing on daily life. And that is very much what this Gemara discussion is about, both in terms of halacha and in terms of even philosophy, right? It's how they lived, how we live. And it brings things that we, you know, I mentioned before sterility in the context of death. Let's talk about sterility in the context of, of things that are icky, right? We don't, we, we're so able to be so clean, thank God, in our era that things that are icky don't need to be mentioned, so we don't talk about fluids, and we don't talk about soa, right? We'll get there. Excrement, and we don't spend so, much time talking yeah, about so a balcony, you know, at least after your one of the things know, uh, that I thought of when you're speaking. School boy. And even
0: though we prepped this and talked about it before, is you know, I think I'd have had the privilege to learn with my children, um, the ones who are bar and bat mitzvah already, in preparation for that event, and I always learn. um, a Seder of Mishnaya with them. And my approach has always been sort of when we get to those Mishnaya uh, that deal with some of these types of taboos, it's just to really teach it very matter-of-factly. Maybe some of that has to also do with my background as a pediatrician, and I'm usually a pretty big advocate that uh, we have to take these kind of teachable moments to empower ourselves That we, when we get to talk about things that sort of fall in the private you know factor or things that we don't normally talk about but when we do it as parents to our children we actually get to in a way decide what that conversation goes like as opposed to our children hearing information from other places and i think learn these types of learning opportunities when we're in a classroom with students or with our own children really provides these opportunities it normalizes regular human um you know human experience And it says that there's, and I think it also shows you the power of Jewish law, that it's in every aspect of our life. There isn't a part of our life that we're embarrassed by, or that we sort of say like, oh, it's not holy, or it's not spiritual, and therefore Jewish law doesn't fall into that place. So with that, I will, oh, sorry, yeah.
1: Right. I, I just, you know, we have this. I don't know how long it's been going on that people say TMI, right? Too much information. I Meaning, keep that away from me. And I feel like the Gemara is here saying, no, no, there is no such thing as TMI. There might be a place and a time for everything, but
0: yeah, you know, at I some point, distinction all make. the discussions TMI is, is very different than there is a time and a place and a way to discuss all different types of topics and within the Gemara itself, it really shows us that, that we can always talk about these things. So with that, we'll conclude. That's our daft for the day. Shavuot Tov, everybody. We look forward to learning with you for the upcoming week. Until tomorrow's daf.